Hey, hey, my name's Teresa Matsura, and you're listening to Japan Distilled. I'll turn you over to Christopher and Stephen in just a moment. I wanted to jump in and say I always enjoy their show. But today's Japan Distilled is especially right up my alley. My podcast, Uncanny Japan, explores the unique, strange, and fascinating aspects of Japanese culture, from folklore and mythology to superstitions and creepy stuff. If you're a fan of any of that or just Japanese culture, I encourage you to give Uncanny Japan a listen. You see, I like things weird, a little off, and uncanny. And speaking of weird, a little off, and uncanny, without further delay, please enjoy this episode of Japan Distilled as Christopher Pellegrini and Stephen Lyman discuss some very odd and uncanny types of shochu. Sometimes you need someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you shochu. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording from Tokyo, Japan. And with me, as always, in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors. And today we have a little fun talking about shochu styles that sometimes leave us scratching our heads. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades and are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher. We are uh, entering the home stretch of season two. We've spent some time, rolled up our sleeves, got some deep dives on some really interesting topics. I went back and listened to a few episodes recently, and I have to say we really, uh, we, we did quite a bit of work. Um, that sounds like bragging, so maybe I'll re-record that putting in work <laughs> no it's it's it takes a it takes a lot to to get these things out there repeatedly over time as you know um so there's yeah. there's that's not bragging that's just a that's the gosh darn truth yeah all right that's fair i mean i guess in that case yeah we've we've done we've done some some hard work we've gotten some really i think really a high quality episodes out this year after season one was really the basics and season two has gotten deeper and in future seasons, we'll go uh, even deeper and broader than that. Uh, but with all of that effort that we've put in, we decided it was time to just have a little fun. And that's what this episode is really all about. It's these oddball shochu styles that, you know, when you look at the list, you think, who thought of that and why in, in a lot of cases, right? <laughs> and yeah, yeah I, can you remember like the first time you came across one of these oddballs that you were like, wait, you can make alcohol from that? Do you have any recollection what that might have been? Yeah, I, I definitely, the first time I came across a milk shochu, I was confused. I just didn't really understand. So it took me a second to think about it. It took me several more seconds to look it up and to make sure <laughs> that I wasn't, my eyes weren't deceiving me. Um, it is a thing. And as we know, there's some milk shochu. We'll get into this in a little bit, but milk shochu made up north in Hokkaido and some milk shochu made in Kyushu as well. There's a lot of other things that you see and you're like, huh, I wonder what that tastes like. And many times it tastes exactly like you think it's going <laughs> to, exactly how you think it's going to taste. 
But yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting expressions out there, we'll say. As you'll recall, avid listeners of the podcast will know that there are 49 kind of slightly, what? how do you describe them? They are the other shochu. We often refer to them as aromatics, 49 of those, plus the four big baskets of, well, three big, three, what are we going to, how would we say that? Yeah, well, there's, there's, it's potatoes or tubers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, potatoes, and that's a huge basket because you've got dozens of sweet potato varieties, you've got dozens of regular potato varieties, and you've got other tubers that sneak in there as well as approved ingredients for Honkaku Shochu. And then you've got, of course, grains, which is another huge basket. Uh, and I think we've sort of figured out that soba has even found its way into that basket. Buckwheat, though, not a grain? Not a grain. It's a seed. Not a grain. So it's a, fl- it's a flower seed, right? So it's a little bit loosey-goosey on some of this stuff in terms of you know, it's definitions. Is it tomato a fruit or a vegetable? I suppose it's kind of along those lines to me anyway. Yeah. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but. Sure. Yeah. So you got those two huge buckets that are what, 90, 95% of the market. And then yeah. of course, Kokuto sugar being another relatively heavy hitter. But once you get beyond that, you're into very, very uncommon products and, and, and uh, styles. And I guess the other one that I guess, just as, as we mentioned as we have mentioned several times, is culturally or historically important is sake li's shochu, right? Even mm. though it accounts for relatively little, there's probably more distilleries making sake li's shochu than any other style. It's just that they're making very little of it uh, throughout the country. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm sure that's true, actually. Yeah, it's just that it requires a whole lot of sake li's in order to make a very little amount of kasutori shochu. And then after that, you're just into like all the weird stuff, right? You mentioned milk. Milk is, uh, I still think for me, the weirdest approved ingredient. Um, uh-huh. But I also happen to like it. I think on our aromatic episode, I, I I sang the praises of one of the brands from Kumamoto. I just, I like the lactic finish that it gives you on like a premium rice shochu with this little bit of almost yogurt-like finish, which to me was yeah. a pretty cool experience. Um, Absolutely. And that's a, that's a expected note on a lot of sake, that dairy note. And honestly, if you go ahead, try this at home, kids, if you have a rice shochu that you, you like, try mixing it with milk. It actually is pretty good. Uh, hmm. Pour it over ice about 50, 50. It's, it's surprisingly good. Sounds like breakfast tomorrow. It is breakfast of champs. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess for me, uh, the first, I guess, oddball shochu that I came across was actually green tea because there was a green tea brand available in uh, in New York when I started down this rabbit hole with the Gyokuro brand from Kitaya uh, here in Fukuoka. Right. And it, it, was, it was odd because for me, that brand, it doesn't express as much green tea as I would hope. And it almost gave me what I associated at the time with seaweed kind of notes and I realized that's probably more an expression of umami and me recognizing it from seaweed rather than from tea. Right. And and so that that was a little bit of a curveball for me. I I didn't mind it. I I'd, I'd have it occasionally. Uh but then when Mizu came out with their green tea expression, I was like, ah, now that tastes like green that tea. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, Mizu's green tea is excellent. Um yeah. And, you know, speaking of both of those ingredients, green tea, that's an approved ingredient. Um, seaweed, I believe there's at least a couple, maybe even three different types of 
seaweed that are approved for honkaku shochu production. And umami is the key word there, absolutely. But those are probably when a lot of people hear that there's spirits made from kelp that might raise some eyebrows. And it is definitely an experience. And no, there is not a lot of it produced, uh, probably not even produced every year. It's it's very much a batch production type of um, regional delicacy, I guess you could say, or omiyage. It's a, you can probably find it in some, some train stations as a, as a souvenir. That's right. And so there are not only green tea, but also matcha, and then, mm-hmm. and also black tea or oolong tea Yep, are all approved teas that can be used. And then on the seaweed side, it is kombu, but it's also uh, wakame. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what's known as red algae or uh, sunumata or tsuru tsuru. Uh, or the red algae that are approved. And then finally, there's a general seaweed category, which I guess would be more your nori seaweed. Uh, I've had the kelp seaweed in Hokkaido, and I quite enjoyed it. I the, like the shochu, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I don't yeah, the, know if I've had kelp, it. Kelp shochu. I had that up in, in Hokkaido where they, they produce quite a bit of, of kelp. They do they do a lot of these weird things. You need, Christopher mentioned the milk shochu that is made up in Hokkaido. They also do make these seaweed expressions. And they also make some mushroom expressions in Hokkaido. They, they tend to sort of like the oddballs up there. I liked them because they do express uh, clear umami, which I think is really cool whenever you come across a spirit that's uh, got very pronounced umami uh, notes. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Another oddball that I, I found early on, this was kind of in the run up to publishing my book, probably in the late aughts, was a shochu made from aloe, which is I know that uh, it's being exported, I think, to Germany. And it's very, very aloe forward. It's remarkable, actually, when you open it up and you're like, oh, yeah, that's aloe. As soon as you, you don't even really have to stick your nose in it. Smells, smells healthy. Smells like you would rub <laughs> it on your skin after getting a sunburn. It's a, it's a impressive expression. And one thing, one that I have only had once, and I know it was exported to the U.S. for a while, but I don't know that it is anymore. And Stephen, you've commented about this in the past as a carrot shochu. That's right. Yeah, there was a carrot shochu, I believe it was called Akane, was uh, pretty easy to find in New York City for a few years. And unfortunately, it seems that distilleries ceased production on the product, so it's gone. But I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was easy drinking. It had nice, nice flavor, nice sweetness as you would expect from something made from carrots. Carrots, when you cook them, get sweet, right? So it, it makes a lot of sense that the- Yeah, that does make sense. I wonder carrot- how that would present Oyuwadi. I, I never had it that way. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost positive I did, and I don't think it was bad. I think there's still carrot shochu being made. Yeah, there is. Right. But there's the outfit here in Fukuoka that's barrel aging carrot shochu and calling it koji whiskey, which just confuses the hell out of me. That's- that's a tough sell. Um, not a whiskey. <laughs> Carrots are not a green. Let's just... Uh, wow. I'm just going to put that out okay. there. People can disagree with me. If you disagree with me, just reach out on social media and let me know if you think carrots are a green. Well, I'll taste it first, hopefully. <laughs> I, I mean, well, oh yeah, that too. Like, we can, should <laughs> carrots go in the grain basket? I suppose if you use a little whittling knife and you, you carve them down small enough, they'll look a little bit like orange grains, but um, <laughs> maybe that's how they make it. Who knows? Another weirdo that definitely presents exactly how you expect it to is the green pepper shochu. The mm-hmm. um, and there, there's a Ochi makes one of these or made one of these. I don't know if he's still making it, but it's kind of it's quite interesting. 
and kind of screams to be added to a Bloody Mary of one distinction or another. Yeah. I mean, he always has it available. So I, I imagine he's at least still making it occasionally, even if it's a once a year sort of thing. Uh, I think yeah. that one might be available in Europe too. That one went in, that was another one that I discovered pretty early on mm-hmm. during my research for my book. And, I, and it went into the book as well. Yep. Um, and, and you mentioned tomato before and tomato shows you yeah. not bad. It's, it's, uh, if you like tomatoes, I think it's a nice, it's a nice drink, but now we've talked about carrots, tomatoes, and green peppers. We're basically building a salad. We're building a salad. Yeah. Right? We're so healthy. <laughs> and we got aloe too, in case yeah. we get sunburn out at our, at our vegetarian picnic. Yeah. But I mean, uh, careful. onions are, are approved as well, right? So you could literally, literally make a salad from your shochu. Do you remember, I think it was Fukano who made a yasai shochu? Yeah. Yeah, they had 27 different vegetables that they fermented and distilled. And it tasted like, it was like an alcoholic V8. Yeah, I was going to say. It, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, V8 should team up with them on this. Uh, that would be, that's just an instant Bloody Mary almost. I actually enjoyed it uh, just because it was so, it expressed so many of the vegetables so clearly. I thought it was a pretty interesting drink. Maybe not, not an everyday sipper, but. Uh, fun times nonetheless. Another fun one that I think is just because I, I am a little bit familiar with how the, the actual raw materials are harvested, how they're grown and they're harvested. But I just kind of like the whole idea of the process is water chestnut shochu. Hmm. And there's a couple of places in Japan that are somewhat known for water chestnut cultivation. One of them being Saga Prefecture in, in Western Kyushu. Another more recently, I guess, is Chiba. There has been a, a couple of times shochu made from it. It is a, an approved ingredient. And I just, I, I like the concept of this. I don't really know. I'm not super familiar with how it's put together, how it's fermented. But that's another one that I hope somebody tries a little harder on because I just, I like the idea of it. On the water chestnut? Yeah. Yeah, I, I went to a distillery in Saga Prefecture that made it, but unfortunately they weren't in production, so I couldn't see the process. But my guess is that it would be a, a rice or barley fermentation and then adding Absolutely. the water chestnuts for for aromatics. And that's why we often describe these as aromatic shochu, because most of these ingredients don't have enough fermentable sugars to actually produce enough alcohol to make it worthwhile. I don't know what the heck a water chestnut smells like, though, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I, I feel like I only had them in Chinese food, like in American Chinese restaurants. Right. For the most part. And fun yeah. one, though, if... if uh, for things that we do know what they taste like, I think the kabocha, right? The Japanese pumpkin is is a sure. pretty nice uh, ingredient. And you can imagine getting a decent amount of sugar from that. I, again, haven't seen that being made, but I can imagine you start almost making it in a, in a standard style where you've got, you know, your, your koji starter and then you're adding a lot of steamed crushed pumpkin mm-hmm. uh, rather than using it as an additive. I may be wrong about that, but that would be my expectation. Sure. Another one that, is kind of a definitely a weirdo is something called matatabi shochu and i've talked about this before so it may sound familiar to many out there but matatabi is silver vine and silver vine is a cousin or relative of catnip so you know if you want to you could take some liberties and call it catnip shochu it is a mountain vine silver vine is it, it definitely kind of presents in the way that you would expect a mountain vine to aromatize the shochu. So it's a very, very interesting drink. 
definitely calls for soda and ice, maybe even tonic water, but catnip shochu. Of course, there's a cat on the label of the brand that I have. I got a bunch of weird bottles in this place. I imagine you've collected a few over the years of different oddball, old oddball shochu. I don't have yeah. much. For this episode, I did a little digging in my closet and I, I couldn't come across very much uh, of, of these mm. things. So what's, what's, your fi- what's your favorite? I mean, if you had to pick a top three in terms of the aromatics, in terms of the, the oddballs, the weirdos, the, mm. just the out of left field types that aren't so standard, what would be in your top three? It's a little bit unsurprising to say sesame because Benny Otome mm-hmm. just is such a beautiful drink, right? They're right here in Fukuoka, the only distillery that makes sesame shochu. Uh, and that's, sure. that's available lots of places. And then another one that I, I do enjoy is shiso. And I'm not... Yeah, I was, I was going to pick that one too. Yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't say like tantakatan because t- tantakatan gives me that same seaweed expression that I get from that, the green tea shochu gyokuro from Fukuoka. Uh, okay. it, doesn't, it doesn't give me fresh shiso. It gives me more of like that umami heaviness that, that I don't associate with shiso. Right. But a well-made shiso shochu can be really, really beautiful. And if I were to pick a third among these, the green tea is great. We've had some black tea shochu that's really nice too. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that would be my choice, but the, maybe I'll... I think I do like the black tea. Mm-hmm. That might be ah the green tea. Let me come back. Let me get back to you. How about you? What if you had to <laughs> <the> top three? <laughs> I definitely would include um, sesame in there. You know, we have the main baskets. You have your main types. You have the tubers. You have the grains. You have the the sake kasu shochu, and then you have kokuto sugar as the four kind of outside the aromatic group main types by tax law in Japan. And then you have the 49 others. So 53 total out of the 49 others, there are a couple there. I mean, sesame is one of the big ones mm-hmm. that actually there's a lot of volume that is produced and sold every year. It's kind of in this weird in-between band between the, the four main groups of shochu and then the 49 other, there might be, we might be able to whittle off one or two of the, the latter and put this middle band in there, like a, a slightly plus size group. Um, Sesame is definitely part of that. Yeah, I guess chestnut as well, right? Kurijochu, certainly. Yeah, yeah. If you did maybe um, like nuts, nuts and uh, net, nuts and seeds as a as another bucket, as another one, and then we could put yeah. we could put soba in the correct place, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. Maybe that that could work because you got peanuts, right? That's an approved ingredient, and I've had peanut show true, too. True, and true. I, I was not impressed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's not done well yet, or nobody's really put their back into it. I would say, right, right. It right. could be done better. I'm sure it can be done better because because peanuts are yummy. So mm-hmm. another one that I I I agree with you. I tend to enjoy green tea shochu. I like sh- I like tea when it's paired with sweet potato shochu, especially. Mm. And I think other people will agree when they finally try it. My other one, uh, shiso is definitely up there, but you already chose that. So I'm going to choose a different one. I really like date palm shochu. Mm-hmm. And there's only one that I know of. And it's made by Inoue Shuzo down in Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. And they actually barrel age it. So it's okay. date palms. It's a, it's a rice fermentation with date palm. And then, and then 
a couple years in oak, maybe a few years in oak, and it's it's all right. I kind of like it. It's good in a highball. Hmm. We had one of those in the States for a while. It left market very soon after I started uh, exploring the category. Uh, but for, for a few couple years, we had a, a date palm shochu that was, that was barrel aged. It was quite nice. It might have been from them, but I, I, I wouldn't know for sure. I, I don't recall anybody else actually making it. The one brand that I'm aware of is called Kodoku no Tenshi. And it's made by Inoue down in down in Nichinan, where our good friends um, from Furusawa are. Yeah, they're not far away from at all, are they? It was called Tempo, the date shochu. Yeah, I did it. I I wrote this up. In oh, was it? 2012 on US. Oh, and in, Inoue Shuzo. Yeah, so they, I guess they... Oh, it was the same place. They yeah, 36, 36% alcohol. Same. Okay. Yeah, so this is, this is the product. This used to be... Uh, Used to be available in the states. Yeah, it's all right. Um, it's not bad. I, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good call. I, yeah, and and it's not that far off from other fruit brandies, basically. To to think about something like a date uh, shochu, so that's an interesting call. I do, I do I, I guess just taking a step back, I do like the I do like the um, as I said earlier, the things that give you umami. So when you look at the mm-hmm. seaweeds, the mushrooms. Right. They they express really uniquely to me and I don't mind it. They might work better as uh like uh accents in cocktails, right? To give something a little bit more body, a little punch it up with a little bit of umami rather than being something okay. that you just enjoy on your own or on its own. Uh that might be a, a way to use those those styles in a in a in a way that I guess more people would enjoy them. Because I can't imagine that <laughs> there's ever gonna be a runaway shiitake mushroom shochu. Yeah, probably not taking the world. But another one that should go into that, into that um, bloody Mary. Honestly, true, true. Yeah, I mean, and th- those mushroom shochus do tend to have a lot of umami. And but I guess, and another aspect of this that we could discuss is the uh, vacuum versus atmospheric distillation. Because for a lot of these, you need to use a vacuum. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, all you're going to get is the uh, all the underlying grain from the from the koji. A lot of bitterness, probably. Yeah. Potentially. Yep. I, I just don't think that you can very easily do a atmospheric distillation and capture some of these really light, almost ephemeral aromatics for a lot of these ingredients. But some of them might stand up. Like I'd be curious about a an atmospheric distilled carrot shochu, for example, or mm-hmm. even some of the, like the seaweeds or the mushrooms might be interesting, but I could also see them getting really, really almost too funky. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, going too far. It's interesting to think about. Can you think of any of this style that are atmospheric distilled? I can't really. Mm, sesame, I'm not sure about what they do with that. I think they do have some expressions at uh, that one distillery that makes it. I think they do mix in, at least blend in some atmospheric distillate to some of their, their smaller batch products. Mm-hmm. I think you're right about that. But, but I don't think it's their main way of doing things over there. Of course, they're pretty secretive about all this, so I don't know if we can get that information off of them. Chestnut shochu as well. I wonder if they've blended some of the better ones. I wonder if they've blended in some atmospheric hmm. distillate to really punch up the midsection. And that's something that I wish they would do with tomato shochu. The tomato shochu that I've had in the past tends to be really thin, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. belying the the very umami nature of this of the tomatoes. They obviously are not using big, fat, juicy beef steak tomatoes, you know, 
that, that would be way too expensive, I think. They're probably using something that is, it might even be something that can't easily be used for food. They're probably using the, the castaways um, mm-hmm. just to make it affordable. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation about what th- the difference between produce that goes to supermarkets versus the produce that goes to schools that versus the produce that is deemed not fit for consumption mm-hmm. or normal table consumption can't be sold because it doesn't look right. I have a feeling that a lot of that produce could be used for alcohol production. And I'm not sure how often that happens, honestly, but uh, that's probably a separate episode. Uh, one of our upcoming um, sustainability episodes. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that as, an, as a topic to cover, but that's an interesting way of thinking about it, whether or not that some of these, especially vegetable ingredients are actually unusable for other purposes. And that's why they ended up doing an experiment, making it a style and somehow getting it approved. Kind of the weird thing for me in all of this is that you have grains and that can encompass literally thousands of different grains that are cultivated here in Japan or overseas. Mm -hmm. Or overseas. You have tubers that Mm -hmm. encompass dozens and dozens of uh, varieties of of sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, all different sorts of uh, essentially root vegetables. And then you have three different expressions of milk (laughs) that are separate. Mm Mm-hmm right? Skim milk, whole milk, and whey powder are all approved ingredients. Why wouldn't you just say milk? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it is really weird. Same with the, the mushrooms, same with the kelp, mm-hmm. same with the tea. Yep. Uh, you know, date palm, that's not, <laughs> that's not from here. Uh, that's, that's from the Middle East. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a weirdo too. Cactus is on the list. Right, I know. I only see cactus in Japan and in, in uh, flower shops. Yeah, right? home <laughs> home sh- centers. Right, exactly. And then another one. Yeah, that, so there's a bunch of head scratching. Yeah, well, the, here maybe maybe the weirdest to to see it on the list and think like, how did that get approved and why would anybody even make it is saffron. Yeah, it's one of the most expensive spices on earth. <laughs> like, can you imagine your mash maybe you just don't need to use a whole lot of it. It could be, but. Maybe, and maybe it was approved before saffron became so so sought after, but I don't think so. I think it's uh, it's been expensive for a yeah, long time. That stuff is no, it's crazy expensive. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's probably potent enough that you just don't need to add a whole lot of it to. It's kind of like like san, you know, sancho pepper. You mm-hmm. only need a, a little bit goes a long way. Or like um, some of the more powerful dandruff dandruff shampoos. A little. Do you only need a little dop? You know, a little dime size dollop of that stuff and you'll be good to go right right, right. and yet and there are like other kinds of peppers like sancho uh-huh. as you mentioned right peppercorns japanese peppercorns which i think would make a beautiful ingredient in fact we know that they do because we've had eau de vie made with it uh, right. but there's it's not an approved shochu ingredient even though it is a it's definitely a japanese ingredient right it's it's the japanese peppercorn and then you've yeah. got like shishito peppers or yeah why is that not approved that's right that's like a izakaya staple both here and in many places abroad so yeah so it should be a thing there's kind of some blind spots in like what's approved and what's not yeah it's a little funny to me and as we've talked about before i mean these standards were codified what a couple of decades ago and they've said there's not going to be any new approvals and of course as we know there's that means there's not going to be any more approvals until there are more approvals. 
Yeah. Right. right. So at exactly. some point, other things will make the list. Maybe some things will drop off. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's just always it's fun to think about this kind of the silly side of of these these standards or regulations and like who came up with that and who cared enough to ask for it, <laughs> right? Yeah, and the gatekeepers are simply the tax office, I believe. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like with the TTB in the United States, at least I believe this is how it is. I, I probably, if somebody can correct me on this, then please have a go at me. But in the US to, to change categories or add categories in the US, you need a literal act of Congress, as we've discussed before. Over here, I don't think it's as I don't think it's quite as complicated. I think the tax office can make changes to the law, but maybe, well, I, having said that, now that I say it out loud, maybe they do need to be reviewed. Maybe they do need to be voted on in parliament for these, these sorts of things. Um, that's something that, that's another thing I need to ask more questions about, quite honestly, is just what is the mechanism? What's the channel by which you would get another, like, I hey, Come on, let's get a wasabi shochu on the list here. How do we do that? Who <laughs> please, do we talk to? Please, please don't. <laughs> I know. I, well, that, I, I took that as that was the first thing that popped into mind. But what's more Japanese than wasabi, right? Sure, sure. Um, you know, so <laughs> that would be an expensive, expensive drink, obviously, with real wasabi, not horseradish. Right. Horseradish shochu. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. Again. Obviously, a little bit of, of wasabi is probably going to go a long way. But let's say that a, a number of farmers in the mountains in Japan were like, hey, this is a regional specialty. We want to make a drink out of it and we can't do that. How do we do that? And I'm sure if the political willpower was there, it could be possible. I, I have to believe that it's possible. Right. No, I think you're right. In, until somebody makes a big enough stink about it and nobody's going to do anything. But if enough people got together and decided this is what they wanted, there'd, there'd be no reason not to, as long as it was safe for human consumption, because you're just going to increase your tax revenue by creating a new exactly new style if it actually becomes popular. I'd say anything that supports agriculture here, especially small-scale agriculture, should be a top priority. I mean, sure, it, it's so hard to keep people in that game these days. So if this is another way for people to put bread on the table, then absolutely, let's do it. Yeah, I certainly hope right. it's not a wasabi, wasabi. shochu is, is a lot, probably. <laughs> I'd, I'd go sign I, I would, I would pay money to, I would pay, I would pay good money for that one time anyway. But yeah. you could make, I, I bet that would end up in a bunch of pretty cool cocktails, though, to be perfectly honest. You can tell me about it if you try it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Uh, are you sipping on anything? I am, actually. I am, I am sipping on um, some matatabi shochu right now. Nice. And it's the only bottle I have ever owned, but uh, it actually, I'm I'm actually sipping on two different bottles. Quite honestly, I'm I'm just trying them. They were both open, and I finished the matatabi small pour of matatabi shochu that I had, and I'm I'm now drinking a small glass of what is essentially it is an awamori, but it's not an awamori that's made in Okinawa, so it's not a ryukyu awamori. It's just they call it actually a tosa. Awamori. It's made in Kochi Prefecture over in Shikoku, and it uses Japanese rice rather than Thai rice. So I, I kind of felt that this sort of fit the bill in that it was one of those kind of subgroup spirits. Yep. It can be called Awamori. It is technically an Awamori. It's taxed as such, but it just is not protected by the GI that right. Ryukyuan products are. It's an oddball to find Awamori produced outside of Okinawa for sure. So Absolutely. Yeah, good call. Absolutely. I actually, how about you? I'd forgotten I had this until the other day, and I found in my closet 
a bottle of the brand is called Imo Guruma, and which huh. the kanji is actually Imo for sweet potato and then Kuruma for car. So it's huh. Imo Guruma. It's actually a taro shochu. So okay. it would fall under the tuber category, but it's taro as a as a as a tuber as a root uh, in Japanese called Sato Imo. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's got some nice uh, body to it. It's got a nice sweetness. Uh, I I don't mind it at all. Uh, it's got a pretty pretty great label of uh, some farmer washing his washing his uh, his sato imo. And uh, yeah, I'll put a picture of the the label in the in the show notes. And it's we not might bad. be talking about the same distillery, but I was at a distillery a few years ago that was talking about making a taro shochu for the for the Nigerian market. Oh, interesting. And, um, yeah, and so I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that would that makes that makes sense." And it's an approved ingredient, so yep. love to taste it. Matt, you're not talking about. Um, well, anyways, we'll wait for the photo, I guess. Well, this is this is from. Uh, I see it. This is from Oishi in Kumamoto. Uh, okay, no different distillery. Yeah. Now, I, as I understand it, they make this brand uh, specifically for an onsen village in uh, in Kumamoto. Oh wow! Uh, the only place that I'd I'd heard of this shochu and that anybody had told me that I could get it, uh, actually, a friend of the show, Evan Gowen, told me he had found it at uh, Kurokawa on- Onsen, up in okay. in the in the Mount Aso region of Kumamoto, and I hunted for it and ended up finding it. It was funny. There was actually the first bottle I came across was called Imo Guruma, but the Guruma was Hiragana, so that mm-hmm. technically made it a separate brand. And I bought it oh. without checking the ingredient list, and it turned out it was just a sweet potato shochu. So somebody Damn was it. somebody was copying on the name, and just another distillery. And then uh, I hunted a couple other shops, and then I finally found the one made with sato imo, which is the kudum, the guruma. The kuruma is is the kanji rather than hiragana. And of course, you could never get away with that in the states, or probably in most uh, Western markets, to have basically the same branding with different spelling, right? But in Japan, I guess it's considered different words somehow. Jesus. Yeah. So maybe I'll unbelievable. I'll post both pictures. I'll be like, don't buy this one unless you just want a standard sweet potato show to buy this one because that's the right. That's the taro. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, very cool. This has been a fun one. Um, definitely a left field type of presentation from the two weirdos at uh, Japan Distilled, right? That's right. A little, little different. Uh, Area, area to explore. And as, as you probably have picked up from listening to it, this is a blind spot for us as well. There's several of these ingredients I've never tried, and I'm sure it's the same for Christopher. They may not even be made currently, but they're, they were approved at some point and, and are still approved. So, we'll keep learning. And uh, when we find them, we'll try them and report back. Tell you where to find them. It's bucket list material, all of this stuff, honestly, because they're so regional. Their Their production and sale is very very, very local. So put that on the list. Another thing, another reason to come to Japan to find some of these hidden treasures. And with that, thank you all very, very much for listening. Once again, if you've not already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to these things. And it really helps others to find the show when you do so. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. How about you, Stephen? You can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on Twitter or Instagram. And please check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes for this and every episode. We always post bottle shots and other 
hopefully interesting maps and, and photos related to the topic. Also, please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Japan Distilled. And to everyone out there in Japan Distilled land, from both of us here in Japan, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time's up, I'm